Welcome to Saga Thing. We're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. Uh, welcome back to the second episode of Gizli Saga. I'm John. And I'm Andy. This is the uh, episode where we're going to go through our judgment section. Absolutely. Um, it's been a little while, so let's go through a quick reminder of what these sections are. Uh, the first one's going to be Best Bloodshed. Right now in Bloodshed, we're going to be looking for a spectacular uh, scene of violence. Not necessarily uh, a murder or a killing, but some kind of interesting violence, blood being shed, uh, injuries being dealt out. Definitely. Uh, the next category is body count, where we offer a, a rough count of the number of deaths in the saga. Well, it's a rough count. We try to be fairly accurate. We try our best, uh, but it's not always easy. Next category is notable witticisms. Right. Now, notable witticisms, we're looking for uh, the one-liners, the clever bits of dialogue or description from the saga author. And then nicknames. Nicknames is a category where we just kind of catalog all the funny nicknames or interesting nicknames that people have in the Icelandic sagas. This is usually a rich source of entertainment for us. Uh, <laughs> we can't have something as, as beautiful as Thorbjörg's shipbreast uh, from our last <laughs> saga, but we've usually got one or two real winners. Uh, next is Outlawry, and that's a category where we go through and look for someone who we find a little bit despicable, perhaps uh, maybe a murderer. Perhaps someone that we just don't like the cut of their jib, and we send them off the island. Next is Thing Man. Thing Man, uh, both Andy and I will choose a figure from the saga, a significant figure from the saga. <laughs> Are you calling into question? I want to be clear about that after after Andy's uh, skullduggery in the last episode. <laughs> it, it may have been a stretch. Uh, but a significant figure from the saga. Uh, to join our thing men to support us at future things, uh, to join our dream teams of saga figures. And finally, we conclude with ratings, where John and I look at the saga and give it a rating between 1 and 10, with 10 being the best. All right, why don't we go ahead and get started? Our first category is... Best Bloodshed. The first nominee, I think, has to be this very strange moment early in the saga, when our four main male characters are engaging in a ritual by which they will all be pledged to one another in mutual support. If you haven't listened to the first episode in a little while, and you're kind of a little bit lazy in your Gizli saga listening, um, the four shame on you. The four people are uh, as follows: you have the two brothers, that is Gizli and Thorkel Sursun, and they have two brothers-in-law. the The one is Thorgrim Gothi, a chieftain in the mm-hmm. region. And Gisli is married to Oud, and her brother is Vestin Vestinson, and Gisli's quite attached to Vestin. Right. Now, each brother is connected to one of the other brothers-in-law by business ties as well as by uh, in-law status. So in this moment, uh, we have the four four brothers and brothers-in-law who have heard a rumor that uh, someone has predicted that their friendship will not last, and so they try to prove him wrong – by conducting this very public and odd ritual yeah. uh, in which – well, I'll just uh, read very briefly from the saga here. They scored out a long strip of turf, making sure that both ends were still attached to the ground. Then they propped up the arch of raised turf with a Damascen spear so long shafted that a man could stretch out his arm and touch the rivets. All four of them had to go under it, Thorgrim, Gisli, Thorkel, and Vestin. Then they drew blood and let it drip down to the soil beneath the turf strip and stirred it together, the soil and the blood. Then they all fell to their knees and swore an oath that each would avenge the other as if they were brothers, and they called on all the gods as their witnesses. Now, the the pledge doesn't work out. Right? Uh, Thorgrim Gothi decides that he doesn't wish to be pledged to Vestin Vestinson, 
And Gisli, in support of Vestin, then pulls out of the pledge entirely. But the oath itself, the sort of ritual involved, is quite interesting. It, not only interesting, but kind of beautiful. I mean, if you think about uh, the way society works today, wouldn't it be cool if we had rituals mm-hmm. like that to kind of bind us to each other? Well, I think we still do. It's, just, it's sort of, you know, the rituals of childhood, right? The sort of um, spitting on your palms and shaking hands. Uh, yeah, I guess or... so. But that, there's a difference between two young boys doing that and two me- grown men creating a formal mm-hmm. ritual with uh, the cutting of the, – the labor of cutting the, that turf out is, is quite something probably. Though maybe not for uh, the Icelanders mm-hmm. of the medieval period. But the, uh, the, the whole ritual is interesting. I, I wonder if, if, uh, if I asked you to cut some turf with me. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to do that, John? Um, that depends. How many public witnesses would there have to be? Oh, just one or two. Maybe just God. Oh, I think I think we can go ahead and make ourselves a little turf fort. <laughs> as long as we can play with it afterwards. <laughs> mixed, mixed with mixed of soil and blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a cool episode and and definitely worthy of bloodshed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the next one that we're going to look at is uh, the killing of Thorgrim. Now uh, we covered that one in oh. pretty good detail in the. Uh, Mm -hmm. part A of this episode. And so I'm not going to reread it, but I'll remind you that uh, the killing of Thorgrim comes about after uh, Thorkel or uh, Thorgrim or someone kills Gisli's brother-in-law, Vestin Vestinson. Right. And we have a slap exchange and other kind of things. But Gisli sneaks into Thorgrim's house at night uh, with the help of Germund. And then he uh, creeps to the bed of Thorgrim and his sister, Thordis, he reaches out, grabs the first person he feels, which is Thordis, and feels her breast, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. uh, is able to identify, I think, Thorgrim's body. And that's when he takes the old uh, Grausida, the, uh, the the sword made anew, and pokes it all the way through Thorgrim, killing him. Uh, Gisli then runs out of the, the house and uh, runs back to his, uh, his place with his muddy boots. Right, but it's worth – I mean, this is just – um, you say pokes it through him. Uh, he actually nails him to his bed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this the spear goes all the way through Thorgrim and pins him to the bed so that he cannot rise, and he just dies right there in bed. Yeah, it's pretty impressive stuff. It is impressive. I like that one. Uh, I'm going to say uh, we have to also include uh, Thorkel Sursen, Gisli's brother, uh, having his head chopped off with his own sword uh, by the sons of Vestin Vestinson. Yes, it's a very good one. Right. Uh, and we sort of covered this moment in the summary, so we won't go into it in great deal, detail here. But first of all, uh, I have to say any man who hands his sword over to a complete stranger who asks to look at it, and then when the, when the stranger draws the sword, merely says, hey, I didn't say you could do that, probably deserves to die. Yeah, probably. Uh, but the fact that it is a beheading, it's an actual full-on beheading with uh, Thorkel's own sword at an assembly – is it's pretty audacious. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. And it's very satisfying. I'm not a big Thorkel fan. Fair enough. All right. The next one uh, for Best Bloodshed has to be, and I think this is a good candidate for the win, Oud. This is uh, Gisli's wife. Oh, Oud. Okay. Right? Yes. Yes. She is visited by Eolf, who is uh, kind of stalking. He's one of the bounty hunters that's uh, looking for uh, for Gisli. And he can't ever find Gisli. And when he does, Gisli slips right through his fingers. So eventually he comes to Oud and says, look, I'm just going to give you a lot of money and please just take it. And she sits there counting the silver. Well, and betray your husband in exchange for the money. Let's be clear about what he wants for the money. Yes, yes. Eolf uh, counts out the silver for for Oud and she's got this massive purse sitting there in her lap. 
And um, I'll just read a little bit from this uh, from the scenes because it's a nice one and you get a little bit of a sense of Aud's uh, cleverness and wit. Mm-hmm. So Eilf had counted out all the silver and Aud spoke. By no means is the silver any less or worse than you have said. And now you must agree that I may do with it whatever I wish. Eolf gladly agreed and told her that, of course, she might do as she wished with it. Aud took the silver and put it in a large purse, and then she stood up and struck Eolf on the nose, and blood spurted all over him. Take that for your gullibility, she said, and all the harm that ensues from it. (laughs) There was never any hope that I would render my husband into your hands, you evil man. Take this now for your cowardice and your shame, and remember, you wretch, for as long as you live that a woman has struck you. Now, e- e- that's just brutal. Yeah, Eolf <laughs> asks his men to seize her and kill her, and obviously they they don't. Right. Um, out is an awesome woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eolf, I have to say, uh, really comes across throughout the saga as just you know kind of a scuzzy individual. Yeah, he does. You know, just sort of like a almost like a, a bounty hunter, but not not doing shame to other bounty hunters. Yeah, yeah. He's not the cool uh, bounty hunter. He's the, the kind of weak and cowardly bounty hunter. Right, yeah. right. He's not, uh, to do the Star Wars metaphor, he's not Boba Fett. He's Bosk. Of course you'd come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Like four people understood what I was talking about. There. Not me. agree with me entirely. Uh, I should note, because um, I just did a little bit of reading there, uh, that my uh, my wife listened to a little bit of our uh, silly accents from part A. Uh, yes. She said that we sound like cheap Ren Faire, uh goofballs. <laughs> really? Yeah, she says. I didn't think it was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> she said that we just kind of the cheap. adjust our R's slightly and and try to talk in deeper voices, and we end up sounding like buffoons. <laughs> Is that wait? Did, did she hear the John Wayne Gisley? Oh, uh, she didn't mention the John Wayne. Sorry. All right. All right. Well, fa- I'm fine. sure she loved that part. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, next? Anyway, uh, right. So Oud smacking Aelf across the face, breaking his nose, bloodying his nose. Just a brilliant moment. Yeah, it is. Uh, but of course, the heavy hitter has to be included, and that's Gisley's last stand. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, a huge scene. I mean, this so much that it's not, we can't even read it to you because it would take too long to get through it all. We have Helgi the Spy, who's probably the only semi-competent member of Aeol's crew. He's the first one up the hill, and he, of course, is cut in half by the first swing of Gisley's axe. Mm-hmm. We have a large number of men uh, cut down, wounded by Gisli. Uh, finally, Gisli himself deeply wounded to so greatly that his uh, entrails begin to spill out of his stomach. Yeah. And then he ties his shirt uh, in order to bind up the entrails so that they don't fall out of him and kill him before he finishes fighting. Right. And then with his last breath, leaping down off of a crag and splitting one of his enemies down the middle. Yeah, it's really brilliant. Uh, with his sword. One of the best fight uh, sequences in, in saga literature, I think. Really is. Uh, and of course, as we know, Gisli wounds these other men so badly that several more of them die in the days and years to follow from their wounds from this fight. Yeah. John, I don't know if you know, but there's a uh, an Icelandic movie of Gisli's saga that I found on YouTube. You know, I um, I know that there is one. I've never seen it. Yeah, I pulled it up and what do you think? Uh, it was I, I didn't watch the whole thing yet. I'm going to watch it um, over the holidays. And mm-hmm. I just jumped forward because I was really curious. I couldn't resist jumping forward to looking at this final <laughs> scene because it's such an awesome. You're spoiling the ending for yourself. No, I already know it because I read the story. 
uh, I wanted to see how they dealt with that whole entrails falling out thing, um, and I also mm-hmm. just wanted to see how they they dealt with the action. Spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah, well, they've they've definitely got the whole business there. They've got the the two women, oh, and they are throwing they have them throwing buckets of water and whatever they've got mm-hmm. handy. But they're all kind of slowly climbing these uh, these rocks. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Gizli, uh, Gizli's entrails thing is handled with him basically just tightening his belt uh, with a, a blood red shirt. Um, okay. Not terribly impressive, but it's it looks like yeah. a 70s movie. Maybe uh, – I'm not sure when it dates to exactly, but it looks a little bit old. They got big bushy hair, but it was kind of cool. Well, and you, you you wouldn't want to create kind of a cheesy you know horror movie effect at that point. This isn't supposed to be about yeah, exactly. the, the entrails spilling out. It's supposed to be about Gizli – Refusing to allow them to spill. Yeah. Well, what's cool about it is they they uh, they separate the women and then they find you know they push Gizli up onto what is essentially a mm-hmm. a, a cliff and uh, he's got like four mm-hmm. or five guys kind of coming at him and then some other guy who I, I don't know what what the actor was doing but he looked to me like he was just stumbling into the scene he kind of comes into mm-hmm. the scene uh, in the grassy area and Gizli looks but down. To be clear, this is the film. Yes, yeah, the film. The film. The, right. Gizli looks down and sees him and is like, oh, there's a good opportunity. And he jumps down this <laughs> gigantic cliff and, and lands on the guy. And that's the – I think he hits him in the head with his axe or something like that. Sure. Um, but that's the end of, of both those characters. Uh, so anyway. Well, <laughs> and possibly the actors depending on how yeah, well no kidding. Well, it looked like a quite – the stunt. It looked like quite a jump. So uh, yeah, we'll post that movie up on uh, uh, the site oh, in yeah, a couple great. days. Yeah. Well, okay. I think you know we could we could dawdle about this, but I don't think there's any question. No. I mean, Gisley's Last Stand is without question one of the one of the greatest moments of bloodshed in the saga. Yeah. Anytime your intestines uh, are hanging out and you have the wherewithal to pull them back into your stomach mm-hmm. and uh, and continue fighting, that's good stuff. And then say and then say as he does at that moment, all right, everybody, just hang on a minute. You'll get what you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna die in a minute. Just give me a second. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, no, I think without question, Gizli is our winner. Gizli's definitely uh, the winner. What a scene. What a scene. What a death. Uh, can't be beaten. He's brilliant. So, John, before we jump into our next category, which is going to be body count, we should discuss oh, yeah. this whole business of uh, Gizli grabbing his sister's breast. There's a whole lot been made of oh, that. Oh, in the Thorgrim death. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we mentioned it uh, kind of in the in the summary and again mm-hmm. here in Best Bloodshed. So let's put this one to rest Really quickly. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's not worth spending a lot of time on because you and I are both agreed that this is sort of one of those moments when scholars get a bit sweaty palm for no particularly good reason. Right. Um, but uh, there's definitely – there is a strain of scholarship that believes that this saga even centers around this illicit love between Gisli and Thoridus that dare not speak its name. Yeah, let me read to you uh, really quickly. I just uh, – you know, in setting up the, uh, the, the website post um, mm-hmm. for this saga – I, I pulled up the Gizli saga um, from Penguin Classics, uh, which comes with the saga of Air, uh, the Airbagia saga. It says something really silly. It says, uh, Gizli Sorsen saga is a story of forbidden love and divided loyalties. And I'm thinking to myself, where's the forbidden love? Forbidden? But of course, I know that scholars, uh, uh-huh. some scholars anyways, get very excited about this issue of Gizli grabbing his sister's breast. Um, right. and it's something we bring up in class uh, when we teach this, obviously. Mm-hmm. What are they so worked up about? Why can't he grab his sister's breast, John? Uh, well, I think <laughs> uh, I, I hope your sister has a good answer for this. <laughs> um, no, I mean, this is, you know, in the moment, this is clearly a situation where Gisli is – we're meant to understand that he's fumbling around in the dark. Yeah, and I think, like the, you know, if, uh, if you think about it, Gisli knows he's looking for Thorgrim. But he knows right. that. Well, and, and remember, we've been explicitly told that uh, the room is fully dark exactly. because Gisli and Girmund 
have put out all the lights in the room. Right. Now, so he's stumbling around in a pitch black room. Remember that Thoridus is also eight or nine months pregnant at this point. I had right. not She's even a larger thought about profile. That. You're absolutely right. Uh, than she would be normally. And so he's trying to find which of these two bulky figures in a bed is Thorgrim. Uh, and he simply guesses wrong, right? I don't know. Uh, if he, my reading of it is sorry, uh, I, and it's not just that. It's that uh, you know, why wouldn't you grab down at the legs? Well, probably I would imagine Thordis's legs are very hairy and thick, just like her husband's, and so probably not a good identifier. <laughs> so you got to go for the. Uh, <laughs> but but if we're thinking seriously, oh, okay. Um, there's um, now you've completely made me lose track of what I was going to say. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, but to be serious, the que- the question here is: you've got two people in the bed. One of them is his sister. He's not interested in stabbing randomly into the bed no. until Thorgrim shouts. Right, right. He needs to make sure that he strikes once and successfully. Mm-hmm. But it also, I think, that moment is meant to heighten the tension. Right. It's that classic moment. Anytime somebody is sneaking into a bedroom in any drama, where the person snorts and rolls over. Right, and the audience is meant to go, oh, he's going to be caught. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that moment when he rouses his sister and she sort of begins mumbling to Thorgrim and they have this conversation with him hovering over them, holding his breath, trying not to be found. The scholars have made a great deal out of this. And in fairness to them, we should also point out that it's not the only time that Gisli gives evidence of potentially strong feelings for his sister. Right. I Remember guess that if he you- has on multiple occasions killed suitors. Uh, of his sisters, and in one case killed a man who apparently was already sleeping with her. Right. I mean, when we first uh, meet so, Gisli, the whole story is about how he's going around and killing the different men right. that uh, Thordis has apparently been seeing, perhaps sleeping with, but at the very least uh, having a, a kind of uh, flirty relationship with. Right. Although it's, it's clear in the moment that Gisli's father, Thorbjorn, is actually encouraging him to take action. Exactly. Right. He says at one point, he, he shames his sons at one point by saying, if Ari, i.e. the youngest of my sons, were here, this wouldn't be allowed to go on. Uh, it turns out Ari is a man of action, doesn't it? With, with the, well, the it does. End, right? uh, he's, but, <laughs> he's not around very often, but, uh, but when he's around, he gets the job done. Absolutely. The man in red. Yeah. Uh, but it's made very clear that, that Thorbjorn encourages and supports Gisli in killing these suitors because he finds them uh, uh, unacceptable. Right, and that's one of the first uh, uh, sequences where we start to see the difference between Gisli and Thorkel. I mean, Thorkel... Mm-hmm. It's Thorkel's friend who's been seeing, if you remember, it's Bard who's been seeing Thordis. And mm-hmm. Thorkel is in full support of Bard and he disregards his father's wishes. So here we get a sense of Thorkel's kind of uh, um, sense of family and his, his mm-hmm. lack of loyalty, I guess, to his family, which contrasts directly with uh, Gisli's sense of family, which is very, very deep. Right. And we can't forget that Thorkel is actually – his feelings for his family are so shallow that he actually encourages Skeggy the Dueler – to come take revenge by presumably killing Gisli right. for Bard's death and then claiming Thordis as his prize after that fight. Oh, Thorkel. Uh, so he's actually sort of pushing another uh, uh, man into coming in, killing a member of his family, and then riding off with Thordis. Exactly. Now, so to summarize and kind of conclude this whole big business about Thordis's breast, I don't think that Gisli is in any way interested in his sister. He is merely mm-hmm. trying to protect her throughout the whole saga. Um, I, I think right. he does love her, but loves her like a, a big brother, even though she's older than him, if, mm-hmm. I, if I remember correctly. Yes. 
Um, yeah, she's the oldest of the four of them. Right. And, and that's just um, it. He's, he's, uh, he's a good brother, and he is protecting his mm-hmm. family, protecting his family's name, and protecting their honor. And that is the essence of Gisli Sorsen. Yeah, so I think um, while there's a reason for the these scholars to make an argument, I think it's in the end, I don't find it to be meritorious at all, and I don't think there's any reason for us to take it seriously. Exactly. Body, body count. count. So for the body count, we had a pretty miraculous thing happen. Uh, John and I came up with the same number. Unprecedented. Uh, yeah, it was weird. Uh, usually we sit and argue about it forever. Uh, the number this time is 75. 75. Now, of course, because we agreed for the first time, it turns out the saga disagrees with both of us. Yeah, it's never easy, is it? No, there's always something. Uh, so we came up with a total of 75. Now, this saga gets itself off to a great start. We have 36 people killed before they even leave Norway in the third chapter. Yeah. Uh, well, but, it helps that uh, a whole household, if you remember Thorbjorn, that is mm-hmm. Gisli's father's house, is set afire and 12 people die. And then in his uh, in his wrath, Gisli goes ahead and kills 12 to kind of seek vengeance. So that's a good 24 right there. Right. But where we run into trouble is right toward the end of the saga at Gisli's last stand. We have this um, this astounding fight that we've just talked about. Uh, but in it, Gisli cuts down several men and the saga – we think, loses track of just how many. Uh, right. And specifically, there's one man, uh, Helgi the Spy is the first one to die. Uh, he's cut yeah, in he half. He gets cut in half right. in a beautiful, beautiful uh, Absolutely. Uh, but following that, another man runs up to Gisli and says, and I'll read, to th- read this to you, Lay down your fine weapons and give them all to me. And give me your wife out too. Now you sound like Bane a little bit. Give me your wife out too. I, didn't, I haven't actually seen that no? movie, but thank you. <laughs> Uh, Gisli answered him, then show your courage because neither befits you, <laughs> neither my weapons nor my wife. That's not no. John Wayne That's at all. That's fine. It's Gisli. Gisli's coming oh. to his own. Um, okay. Good. Now what's interesting about this, one, this is sort of a theme of this saga, right? Uh, the men who challenge you to a, a fight and upon killing you intend to steal your wife. Now, this of course is something that we've seen several times in the saga already. Gisli, uh, responds to this with great violence and in fact attacks this man so violently that Gisli's own axe shatters and he's then forced to defend himself with his sword. Uh, but the- Which is an interesting note just to contrast with, uh, kind of the typical European image of the Middle Ages. Sword versus axe. Right. Most people would rather have a sword, it seems. But in Iceland and Scandinavia, the, the, the axe is the <laughs> weapon of choice. Uh, I always think of it just uh, the axe would get stuck in someone in a way that you can't get it right. out. Well, I think the idea is to keep going, like you did with Helgi. Right? Just go right through the person, <laughs> and you don't have a problem. Right through them. Yeah, I guess it is um, a good weapon that way. But the problem is that then uh, Gisli kills uh, some other men, and the saga at one point tells us that the total is now four men, which indicates pretty clearly that the man with the spear was killed when Gisli shattered his axe on him, which frankly makes sense. Uh, but then later on, we're told that the total number of men who die – uh, from a wounds received by Gisli is eight, but it's very clearly nine men. It's Helgi, it's the spear man, it's two more of Eolf's men, it's a man named Sven, then it's Thord, Eolf's kinsman, who dies when Gisli leaps off the crag and splits him in half, and then three more men die of their wounds after the battle is over, which is a clear total of nine. Uh, right. So 
we're sticking with the number 75, even though the saga seems to think it's 74. Uh, we're pretty sure we're right on this one. Yep. But we'll forgive him that because it's such a great saga. There you go. 75 deaths. Nicknames. All right. We're on to the category of nicknames. And yes. uh, John, I'm going to be honest here. I forgot to write down any nicknames for this one. So I'm going <laughs> to let you, I'm going to let you lead. Well, I've got quite a list. So this is this saga actually gives us a large number of options. Uh, it's maybe not quite as rich in uh, bizarre names as, say, Erebidja Saga, but uh, certainly plenty to work with. So for starters, we can't ignore uh, Thorbjorn Sur. That's right. If you remember, and I do remember this guy, John, so this is this is a good one to bring up first. <laughs> He's the guy who uh, his house is set on fire and he devises a, a kind of noble escape by uh, dipping some skins in whey mm-hmm. and then uh, using them to beat back the flames. Right. Um, and that's where he gets his uh, his name, Sur, which means sour or whey. Right. Um, we've got Thord the Coward. Of course, the the useless servant of Gisli Sursen. Um, oh, poor Thord gets the well. <laughs> take the old the old take my jacket trick. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, in the end, I suppose he does serve that one purpose. Uh, he certainly does. Uh, we've got uh, back in Norway. We have uh, Holmgang with Skeggy, or Skeggy the Dueler. Mm-hmm. Mainly notable because again, anytime you defeat someone named the Dueler one on one, it's pretty impressive. And Gisli does uh, actually fight Skeggy twice. Uh, the first time he lops off Skeggy's leg, uh, and the second time it's not so much of a fight as Gisli sneaking up on Skeggy while he's in bed and killing him. Right. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if it's really a fight the second time. Oh, uh, well. We have Helgi the Spy. Helgi the Spy, the guy who gets cut in half. Absolutely. It's a great name, Helgi the Spy. It's He's actually, as you said, he's not a terribly effective spy. Uh, he's often easily fooled. Um, he's led astray by red herrings. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the end, he's the only one with any kind of marketable bounty hunting skill. Everybody else just seems to sort of run around randomly wherever they hear a rumor that Gisli may have been. So, <laughs> Again, go to Oud's house. He's right, probably just at stay Oud's at Oud's house. house. Uh, we have Helgi Ingjald's fool, mm-hmm. the son of Ingjald the Islander. And we said last time that the the name Ingjald's fool uh, is suggestive, but his sort of his life is even more suggestive of the kind of. Uh, harsh treatment that a person could expect in this in this society if they had a disability that kept them from sort of living independently and from taking care of themselves. Right? It's not right. a an environment that's forgiving of people who sort of need help to survive. Right. And the fact that he's Ingjald's fool uh, suggests that even his name uh, lacks value. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's not even considered Helgi the fool. It's right. He's not even a person. Right. He's not Ingjald's son, which should be his his surname. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's Ingjald's fool. Uh, so he's almost unmanned by his mental disability. Exactly. We have Berg Skamfot. Berg the short-legged, that means, which can mean one of two things. Either he's simply short, right? You think of uh, Robert Curtos in British history. Uh, same thing, right? Gets his name because of his short stature. Who knows that person? Uh, I do. He's the Duke of Normandy. Uh <laughs> or short leg could could conceivably mean that his one leg is shorter than the other and that he limps. Right. Um, I like to think that he's just a short guy. Uh, That's generous have, of you. Well, 
We have Saka Stein or Outlaw Stein is what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the men who are part of the gr- the original group who are tracking Gisli. He doesn't make it to the final stand because Gisli has already killed him by then, yeah. uh, along with his brother Thorod. Uh, yeah, we don't really know why he's called Outlaw Stein, and it's kind of curious that you'd have a nickname being Outlaw, but maybe he was outlawed for like a lesser outlawry and had gone away for a while and come right. back. Uh, but of course, it also suggests something, one of those sort of obscure things about um, the practice of outlawry. Outlaws often were given reprieve if they killed other outlaws. If they were sort of given, if they uh, mm. collected the bounty on a number of other outlaws, they themselves would then be freed. It's actually – it's a brilliant piece of social engineering when you think about it because it stops the outlaws from ganging up on you, right? Yeah. They, the, the group that we saw in Erbidja Saga, Ospak's group, is kind of a, an aberration. For the most part, the problem with outlaws is that they can gain their freedom by killing each other. So it's very difficult for them to band together and become a menace to the rest of uh, Iceland. Mm-hmm. So – uh, Outlaw Stein may possibly be someone who's actually hunting Gisli down in hopes of gaining his own reinstatement into society. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, last but not least, Bork the Stout. Bork the Stout. Now, his nickname is worth considering on its own, but I just want to point out that Bork, that's a rough name. That is a <laughs> – when you're already called Bork, I think it's important that you try to keep yourself in fighting shape. Because if, you're, <laughs> if, if your name is Bork and you're a bit rotund – you're just really – you have nothing going for you at that point. Uh, so that's our that's our list. That's our category. What do you think? I'm voting for Thorbjorn Sur. He's the uh, – he's got a cool story with his nickname. We don't get a lot of stories with the other nicknames. And uh, it's a great story at that. I mean it, it stamps the entire saga, right? I mean this sort of – this legendary story about how he and his sons have the wherewithal to get out of this burning house. Uh, absolutely. It's important enough to replace your own name mm-hmm. in uh, in your children's uh, future. So how could you ignore that? Absolutely. Thorbjorn, sir, okay. it is. Congratulations. Notable Witticisms. All right, Notable Witticisms. This is our chance to look at some of the saga writers' best lines. Uh, I've got a couple of nominees. I know you do as well. I do. I want to start us off with uh, Helgi Vestensen. This is the moment immediately after... He and his brother Berg have assassinated Thorkel Sursen yeah. and are running away in the anarchy that ensues at the Thorskisfjord Assembly. Yeah. It's a very uh, quick scene, but it's like one of the coolest scenes in the saga. It really is. Uh, and what I love about it is that the things are so disordered that Bork the Stout himself stops the Vestensons to ask them what happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not realizing that they're the murderers. Right. Uh, and he asks them why there's a commotion at Thorkel's booth. And Helgi's response is... I think they're wondering about whether Vestin left only daughters behind him or whether he had a son. <laughs> Is that how you're going to read it? <laughs> that sounds awful. What do you want me to say? It's very light. I think it should sound more serious. Well, they're they're running. What you... It's weighty. <laughs> yeah, they, sounded, well, they sounded kind of jaunty. I think. Well, they're running. <laughs> Hell, it was all I could do not to give you a Doppler effect. I think they're arguing whether Vestin was a <laughs> I don't know about that one. All right, all right. Okay. All right, my candidate, is, my first candidate is going to be uh, Germund. If you remember, Germund is asked by Thorgrim to go and uh, get the tapestries that Vestin Vestinson had left from Gisli's house. Um, a very uh, kind of audacious and arrogant move on Thorgrim's part. 
Garman doesn't want to do it. He knows that it's going to be uh, a mess and it's very insulting to Gizli. But uh, Thorgrim slaps Garman across the face. Garman looks at Thorgrim and says, But you may be certain that I will give a mare for this foal and you will not be underpaid. It's not something that I would ever say. <laughs> well, it's it's a it's a nice turn of phrase. It's, yeah, it uh, is. I think one of those idioms that you pick up in the sagas sometimes. Yeah. And, and again, if you're not sure what that means, think about it. A mare compared to a foal. Which one's bigger, more valuable, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he was given a foal. He's going to repay him with a mare, which means uh, Thorgrim's probably going to die that night. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good and line. He does, in fact, as it goes, he does get a chance for revenge. Exactly. For for a servant or uh, – is he a slave, John? I can't remember. He is, yeah. Yeah, so for a slave, that's a hell of a line. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. My uh, my next nominee has to be uh, Gisli speaking to Oud at the, uh, the last stand. Uh, after Gisli has cut Helgi the Spy in half, Eolf the Grey attempts to sneak up behind Gisli, but he finds his way blocked by Oud, Vestin's daughter – who uses she's only been able to arm herself with a club that she sort of picked up off the ground but she faces him down smashes the club down on his sword arm and renders him uh, useless for the fight uh paralyzes his arm for the moment and forces him to drop his weapon uh and Gisli upon seeing this takes a moment out of this sort of desperate fight that he's in to say I knew long ago that I had married well oh I'm sorry this this is not this is Gisli's voice <laughs> I knew long ago that I'd married well, but never realized till now that the match was as good as this. <laughs> I can't wait till this uh, episode is over so we don't do the John Wayne impression anymore. It's not really a John Wayne impression anymore. Gisley has sort of become his own entity. He is. So uh, my next uh, nominee, and I think the last one, is from the episode where Gisley's been hiding at Ingjald's house. And Ingjald is a relative of Gisley's, and you might remember him as the father of uh, Helgi the Fool, who's uh, tied to a post and allowed to graze like an animal. Ingjald is confronted by Bork after Gisley's escaped, and uh, Bork is asking him to give up Gisley. says, where is he? Mm. Um, and if you don't tell me, I'm going to kill you. Ingjold has a very witty response. He says, My clothes are so poor that it would be no great grief if I stopped wearing them out. That's good stuff. So, uh, John, what do you think should be the winner there? Um, you know what? There's some good stuff in here. I really – I do like a mare for the foal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm i going to push hard here for uh, Helgi Vestensen in the moment of running away from an assassination, having time to drop a one-liner on Bork. As he runs past, <laughs> about whether Vestin left only daughters behind him or whether he had a son. Yeah, just the fact that they come into the saga and out of the saga so quickly <laughs> and have the, the, the wherewithal to come up with a line like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to push for uh, Ingjald myself because I, I like the idea of wearing I know you love clothes. that line. Yeah, but Helgi, Helgi's so clever. I'm giving it to Helgi too. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Excellent. Congratulations, Helgi. Maybe this is some consolation that uh, your brother will later on be chopped down by Ari Sursen in Norway. <laughs> oh, glory. So now we have to pick somebody from the saga who's going to be eliminated from uh, future consideration for Thingmen, going to be eliminated from, well, from the island uh, forever. We have only a handful of options in this saga, I think. Yeah, this. I mean, th- the problem with this saga is that nobody really does anything egregiously wrong. 
There's no auspex. Well, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. Oh, um, maybe there's a murder have, or two. Well, a murder, I mean, this is not a killing, right? This is a murder. Um, okay. We, we've talked about this before on the, on the podcast. Uh, the laws in Iceland were quite strict as to what constituted a legal killing. Mm-hmm. And the killing of, uh, well, let's, let's be right up front. Uh, Gisli's murder of Thorgrim violates every rule of a legal killing. This is, without question, a secret murder, and it's the kind of thing that can very easily get you outlawed. <laughs> well, it's, in called, fact, it's called an outlaw saga for a reason. Exactly. I mean, this is we have to consider the fact that our main character, Gisli Sirson, is not only guilty of murder, but is, in fact, outlawed within the saga for that murder. True, but he's so likable. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a feeling I'm going to have a hard time convincing you of Gisli just because you deferred on Thingman last time. I think because you had your eye on Gisli already at that point. He's such an attractive candidate. <laughs> but it does mean you've got to come up with – if you're not going to give me Gisli, you've got to give me a better candidate for outlawry than Gisli Sirson. We'll see. What do you got? Well, John, have you considered um, Aolf the bounty hunter? What did Aolf do? I mean – Gisli sneaks into a man's home in the middle of the night. Sure. Kills him in his sleep. Doesn't even give Thorgrim a chance to defend himself and nails him to the bed with a spear. Well. What did Eolf do that's worse than that? Well, Eolf is a coward. Um, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if you remember, but Eolf not only fails miserably at catching his prey, um, but he's constantly pushing other people to the fore. To the point that when he asks Helgi, the spy, to uh, go up and get Gisli off the cliff, Helgi says something to the effect of, I've often noticed, said Helgi, that you usually want other people in front of you when there's any danger. Uh, since you urge me so profoundly, I'll attempt it, but you must show enough courage to come with me and keep close behind. That is, if you're not a completely toothless bitch. Why wasn't that a notable witticism, John? <laughs> I don't know. We're definitely asleep at the switch here. We missed that one. Uh, That's a good one. But we have to point out, I mean, this is cowardice. Yeah. He, it, uh, cowardice. He's, it's not, he's a pretty bad guy. He's not He's not guilty. I mean, cowardice is contemptible, perhaps, but it's not illegal. It's hardly against the law to be a coward. Well, yeah, but you've got to consider why Gisli killed uh, Thorgrim. I think you're forgetting that. Yes, maybe he's hiding what he did to some extent. Uh, but he killed him as an act of honor. It's part of the vengeance oath. John, if you remember, Gisli's the one that took the reforged Grasida out of Vestin Vestinson. And as the saga tells us, that is a sacred duty um, to avenge the person that you're taking the weapon mm -hmm. or the, the, the sword out of. Um, Fair enough. But I don't remember anything saying that the sacred duty involved sneaking by stealth in the night into someone's house and killing them while they sleep. I see. You think he should have been a little bit more public about it. Well, that seems to be, uh, you know, the expectation of the time. Interesting. Well, then let me ask you this. Who killed Vestin Vestinson? Shouldn't we consider them? Ah, now that's interesting. Because we got two right. good candidates um, there, right? Absolutely. Right. The saga goes out of its way to avoid telling us who killed Vestin Vestinson. We know that the spear, right, the reforged blade that came from uh, the sword Gracida, uh, is a possession of the Sursen family. Right. right. And Thorkel, without question, we know, is the person who owned the blade. Right. And that that seems um, to suggest that Thorkel is the one that killed Vestin. But, of course, we also know that his friend Thorgrim Gothi is by his side when the blade is reforged. 
Right. And is involved in sort of every step of the way and that the two of them are partners in everything they do. Sure. But that presumes that uh, Thorkel asked Thorgrim to go ahead and do this when uh, uh-huh. Thorkel's the one with the real grudge against uh, Vestin because uh, Thorkel's wife – has been mm-hmm. given the old eye, the winky-winky, to uh, Vestin. Absolutely. But we know that both Thorkel and Thorgrim are the sorts of people who might use an interlocum or, or a cat's paw to commit an act that they didn't want themselves to be involved in. Sure. So either one of them could theoretically have done it at the behest of the other or for themselves. Perhaps, but I don't think Thorgrim has anything against Th- uh, Vestin, whereas Thorkel clearly mm-hmm. does. The, the more likely scenario is that either Thorkel does it or Thorkel asks Thorgrim to do it for him because he doesn't right. want to strike out against his own brother-in-law or his brother's best friend. Now, one more piece of evidence that I will give you. Uh, of course, if you think back to Erbiga Saga, the author there gives us an encapsulated version of the story of Gisli's saga. Mm-hmm. And in that version, the author tells us that Gisli killed Thorgrim because... Thorgrim had killed Vestin Vestinson the year before. Right. So in that saga, there's no question as to who the murderer is. Uh, it's a it's taken as a matter of record. Right. That Thorgrim the Gothi, Snorri's father, was the murderer of Vestin Vestinson. Right. And that suggests there's a tradition within Iceland, or at least within that mm-hmm. region, that says Thorgrim is the one that did the deed. Right. But I agree with you. I think all the evidence of the text points to Thorkel as the murderer. Right. Uh, there's there's ample reason for Thorkel to want Vestin dead. Right. As you said, he's been messing around or possibly messing around with Thorkel's wife. Thorgrim, apart from not wanting to be involved in uh, a blood oath with Vestin, has no particular animus against him whatsoever. Exactly. He's got very um, little stake in this thing. And we have that famous that line that Gisli says to Thorkel after the de- after the burial of Vestin. Uh, he says. When or if uh, something occurs that touches you the way this touched me, I expect you to show the same restraint that I'm showing with you right now. Exactly. Right. So in other words, when I kill your best friend, brother-in-law, and business partner, just as you have killed mine, you need to remember this moment and that I didn't expose you and take revenge on you. Exactly. And we know that Thorkel... Uh, does uphold that part of the bargain. We know that Thorkel is not big on this brotherly bond, but when he is the first man to enter Gisli's house after Thorgrim's death, what does he find? Muddy shoes, icy shoes. Muddy, icy shoes, right? And he hides them, he, he shoves them under Gisli's bed so that no one else sees them. Exactly. Right, so he does uphold his bargain with Gisli to protect Gisli uh, from the consequences of this killing. Exactly. So here's the thing, John. Yep. Rather than outlaw Gisli, we should consider very seriously outlawing either Thorkel or mm-hmm. Thorgrim. Now, my vote is going for Thorkel because not only is Thorkel the mastermind or perhaps even the murderer of Vestin, and that is a murder, Yes. Uh, we also have to consider character. And if mm-hmm. you compare Gisli's character to Thorkel's character, what you find is one man who is fiercely loyal to his family and upholds mm-hmm. the traditions of honor and love and respect for his kin relations. And then you have Thorkel who puts all those things aside constantly, uh, whether it's uh, down to uh, supporting Bard and Skeggy the Dueler 
in fact, asking Skeggy the Dueler to kill his own brother. Thorkel is a shameful individual. He's not an admirable character and, and in my opinion, worthy of outlawry. I'm going to agree with you, and here's why. You're a generous uh, soul. Because I firmly believe, in my reading of this text, I firmly believe that Thorkel is the murderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that he is merely the person who arranges the murder, but that he himself actually conducts the murder. Right. The weapon that's used to kill Vestin is... A family blade, right? It's Gracida. Right. It's the blade that Thorkel received from their father when their father died. There's no particular reason to believe that anyone else would be wielding that weapon. It is Thorkel, not Thorgrim, who has the has the desire to see Vestin dead. Mm-hmm. It's Thorkel who would need to do it by stealth, right? Because he is actually connected through Gisli's marriage to Aud to Vestin. Right. Uh, where Thorgrim is not. Uh, and so Thorgrim could actually kill Vestin openly if he felt the need to do so. Thorkel has more of a reason to do it by stealth. Yeah. And the use of that weapon serves as a kind of code to Gisli. Right. That this killing was done by your brother, who you value so greatly, and so you need to conduct yourself very carefully. And Gisli receives that message. When he takes that weapon from Vestin's chest, he immediately hides it so that no one else can see the weapon that was used. Right, and he doesn't take it out of his chest, out of the uh, uh, the box that he keeps it in, until he brings it and uses that same weapon to kill Thorgrim, thus returning the message to Thorkel. Right, and restoring balance. So, absolutely, and that's what it's all about. Well, and of course, Gisli's killing of Thorgrim is a secret murder, yes, but it's a secret murder that obey that that mimics in every particular. The killing of Vestin a year before. Exactly. Right? Even down to the sneaking into the house and killing a man while he sleeps. Mm-hmm. So you're with me. Uh, so for all those reasons, I'm with you. I think Thorkel's got to go. All right. That sets up a beautiful Thingman section for me. I realize it does, but I think you've made a fair argument, and uh, I, it gels with my own reading of the text. So Thorkel Sursen, off you go. Sorry, pal. Maybe you can recover the boat that you gave to your brother and use it to leave the island. <laughs> Thingman. All right, now we're into our Thing Man section. John, this is actually my favorite uh, thing that we do, choosing Thing Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like it usually. I think this time out I'm going to like it a little bit less. Really? Uh, because you've clearly set me up for a fall here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it as much in that last saga. Um, but I, I like it because, you know, when I'm reading the sagas, I'm always looking at those characters. And I think we're meant to look at the characters and investigate uh, their morality, investigate their uh, their essence deeply. And mm-hmm. this is a great one because Gisli is such a, uh, a profoundly uh, good character. He's all about honor. He is all about family. He is he represents all those things that we think of when we think of nobility. So you're not even going to keep us in suspense here. It's pretty clear from the outset where you're going with this. I think that was clear in the last episode uh, <laughs> when I deferred that I was right. going to be taking Gisli. Um, I knew that we were going to be doing Gisli saga. Um, I, I admired uh, Gisli very deeply. Even though he is an outlaw, uh, he represents some some pretty fantastic things. Uh, Family, honor, uh, loyalty, Mm -hmm. uh, love of your wife, love of your father, love of your siblings, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'd like to say I'm that kind of guy, but uh, I don't know that I You can say it all you want. Yeah, I'm not going to take a sword for them, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm choosing Gisli for what he represents. He's uh, he's pretty amazing. And good name recognition there, too. No, that's fair. That's actually a good point. Uh, no, there's no question. I should also add that there's not a lot of other great choices in this saga. Right, well, there's the problem. Pickens are slim. So, of course, the problem for me now is um, 
what do you do with Gizli's saga once Gizli's not in it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've got Eolf and Helgi the Spy and Bork the Stout. Well, we've already outlawed his brother Thorkel. Thorgrim the Gothi, he's available for you. Well, see, now I was going to say, I don't want any of Gizli's enemies involved. Uh, so it, lo- it looks to me, uh-huh. once I start shaking it all out, uh, because it's pretty mm-hmm. clear. I mean, this is one of those sort of good and evil sagas. I mean, you know, really, yeah. no one who's against Gizli is a good person. I know you could choose uh, Thor the Coward. Well, oh, right. Uh, so the way I see it, I've got uh, the entire Sursen family, less Thorkel to choose from. I've got mm-hmm. Thorbjorn Sur. I've got Ari Sursen. He's pretty amazing. You know he's he is a man pretty of amazing. Action. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't spend a lot of time in the saga, but he makes his time count. Yes, he does. We of course have to consider um, once you get outside the family, Ref the Sly. Uh, although we've actually talked about this, and for uh, the simple reason that Ref has his own saga. Uh, we can't be snatching him up right now because no. it would make for an awkward uh, conversation when we finally get to Ref Saga later on. Right. And hopefully I'll be choosing then. <clears throat> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to take Thorbjorn Sur. He doesn't do a tremendous amount in terms of activity. He mainly encourages his sons to kill people, and he right. puts out a fire with, with Wei. Yeah, he's very clever. Right. Ari is a great character for the eight seconds that he's in the saga. Yeah, but if you're looking for action density, then he's your man. Well, but if you're looking for an actual sort of name recognition figure, mm-hmm. or if you're looking for a figure who has some evidence that he's a loyal uh, thing man, I don't think you find it in Ari. What you find is that he's a loyal brother. Right. Um, no, I think uh, I'm going to have to make the unprecedented step here. I am taking Aud Vestin's daughter. Wow. Gisli's wife. Wow. The first female, absolutely the first, uh, the first female. It's time that we broke that glass ceiling <laughs> and opened up the thing, the thing person. The, oh, is um, that what it is going to be from now on? The thing person category. <laughs> well, when, when it refers or the thing woman, I would be proud for Al to be my thing woman. That's a uh, wonderful choice, actually. She yeah, is. She is unbelievable. I mean, just you know, both um, uh, fearless and loyal. She manages to uh, outfight Aeolf the Grey, not once but twice, smashing his nose across his face and then smashing his arm to the ground. Right. Um, she is loyal to Gisli throughout the saga. And, by the way, unlike many of the figures that both of us have chosen so far, she lives past the end of the saga. <laughs> that is a, uh, a, she actually a converts quality. to Christianity and goes off on a pilgrimage to Rome at the end of the saga. That's a great choice. I, honestly, I hadn't I hadn't really considered her until we were recording the first part of this episode. Mm-hmm. And as we were going through kind of the action and, and talking about what she does, it, it occurred to me, this woman is amazing. And I would totally <laughs> take her as a thing man if uh, I wasn't going first. Uh, if Gizli yeah. wasn't the option, she would be the one that I would have chosen. Well, of course, the great tragedy here is that the loyal marriage between Gizli and Oud it will now be tested as they find themselves on opposite sides of our thing men. Yeah, that's too bad. Oh, well. Right. Maybe it'll bring our groups closer together. Yes. Final, Final rating. rating. All right, moment of truth. Uh, it's time for us to decide uh, how to rate this saga on a scale from 1 to 10. Uh, I think I'm going to go first this week. Okay. It's worth noting, I mean, we talked about this at the very beginning of the first part of this uh, episode. Scholars have a love affair with Gizli Saga, and it's not its not hard to see why. I mean, the story is tightly narrated. Uh, it makes room for a remarkable amount of detail in a short amount of time. Uh, the central feud is both 
I would say, logical and inevitable. I mean, there's no sense in which we're just kind of, you know, well, you have to have a feud because of the saga. This is all sort of, there's right. logical reasons for everything to happen. The story is fully fleshed out. We have a good-sized cast of secondary characters that we get to know. Um, you think about Ingjald and his family, uh, Helgi the spy, Thorgerd the outlaw hiding grandma, uh, Thorgrim Neff, Thord the coward, just on and on and on with the great characters. Yeah. I, I think for uh, how little space they're actually given, uh, mm-hmm. you're right, we we get to know them pretty well mm-hmm. as, in terms of them feeling like real people. Yeah. No, it's, it's the saga author is just a really economical writer. And, you know, all the, I mean, this stuff is all, any good saga maybe has all that stuff. Um, but I'm going to say what makes Gizli Saga truly great is the psychological depth and nuance that we find in the central group. Gizli Sersen, Thorkel Sersen, uh, Thordis Sir's daughter. We talked a number of times about how complicated Thordis's motivations are in the saga. Um, sort of the pressures that she's under as the uh, sister and wife of two men, uh, one of whom kills the other. Uh, Interesting. Is, and then, of course, the mother of Snorri Gothi, who's then in that position of feeling pressure socially to take some kind of revenge for his father's death, despite the fact that this is his mother's brother. Um, Perhaps, I think the saga is one of contrasts, right? Mm-hmm. Thorkel is a contrast in his disloyalty to Gisli's loyalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, uh, Thordis represents a kind of disloyal... Um, Maybe kind of uh, a kind of wishy-washy goofball yeah. of a wife uh, and woman. Uh, she contrasts greatly to Oud, who mm-hmm. is loyal and and steadfast throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and I think the way that the saga author really brings all those contrasts out is by making small details do heavy work to create character nuance. Right. Absolutely. So it, in Thordis's conflicted loyalties, uh, I mean, we could do an entire podcast episode just on Thordis and what she's up to. Uh, but when you count it up, there's only a couple of hundred words spent on her in the entire saga. The strength of Gisli and Aud's marriage is sketched in brief moments of the text, and it kind of sneaks into the narrative without our really realizing it, until by the end of the saga we come to realize that it's both the source of Gisli's strength, even as it becomes a weakness for his enemies to exploit. Right. Uh, and then there's this, the complexity of kin loyalty pitted against friendships, pitted against economic relationships, uh, all of it revealed in this kind of minimalist prose. And then we get the murder mystery, the hair's breadth escapes, the cat and mouse game between Gizli and Helgi the spy, the repeated skirmishes and all of it leading up to this absolutely epic last stand. I could nitpick things here and there in the saga, but I'm not going to bother. This is a 10. Really? You're going 10 I'm going already? going 10. John, I will remind you that just two episodes ago mm-hmm. in Airbigia Saga, mm-hmm. we gave it, uh, I don't know if it's 9, 9.5, something like that. And we, I give it a we nine. wondered to ourselves, will there be a 10 out there? And two episodes later, you're saying 10. I'm not saying there's going to be many 10s out there, uh, but I don't, I don't know how you could better this. It's very, very good. <laughs> uh, I, I am not going to lie. I thought of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I sit down and read it and think deeply about it, uh, what I find myself wanting is more, uh, which I guess is <laughs> a good greedy, thing. greedy man. But here's what I guess if I'm comparing it to other medieval literature, other medieval outlaw stories, uh, I'm thinking here specifically of, of some of the Tristan narratives, mm-hmm. um, Berul's Tristan, things like that. Okay. Those are very fleshed out, um, and, and the outlaw character, uh, Tristan, for example, there, has a lot of 
fun episodes that uh, take a little bit more time uh, to kind of uh, help us appreciate the outlaw. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for all we've built Gizli up in this particular episode, if you go through and read the saga, I don't think you're going to see as much character development as some of the other episodes you'd find in medieval literature. And mm-hmm. for that, I kind of dock it some points. Okay. Um, it's an excellent saga, uh, but I'm going to go with a 9 rather than a 10. Mm-hmm. Um, though I totally understand why you gave it a 10. Well, that's it's interesting. This is still – now, this is the highest combined score Absolutely. we've given out. But there's still room at the top. There's still room at the top. You're a hard man to please, Andy Fringer. <laughs> uh, all right. That's going to do it for Gizli Saga. Uh, next time out, we're looking at a slightly lesser known saga called Henthoris Saga. And it's got a lot of great stuff in it, but not, it's not one that a lot of people have necessarily come across uh, in a sort of general survey of the sagas. Uh, so hopefully some surprises in there for us as well. We'll leave it there. And um, as we conclude, I'll remind you guys to uh, check out our website, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. Follow us on Twitter. Go to sagathingpod and let us know you're out there. And also we have our Facebook site, which is sagathingpodcast. So lots and lots of social media and web presence for you. Uh, go out there and uh, give us some comments. Thanks very much for listening and bye. Notable witticisms. This is our uh, chance to look at some of the saga writers' best lines. Um, I've got a couple of. What, what are you doing? <laughs> what the hell I'm are you preparing doing? my main impression. <laughs> Jackass. Uh, all right, you just threw me off completely. Uh, <laughs> Bane has a thing on his mouth. <laughs> all right. Um, you're definitely cut off after this beer. Uh, <laughs>